This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. The largest body of water in California was formed by mistake. In 1905, the California Development Company accidentally flooded a huge, salty depression in the Sonoran Desert known as the Salton Sink, creating an enormous, salty lake called the Salton Sea. And here we are at the edge of the Salton Sea. It's incredible. You almost can't see across. And we're just at the, we're at the tip. It's pretty narrow here. Reporter Emmett Fitzgerald recently visited the Salton Sea on a hot summer day in the desert. Yeah, it's just a mild 107 right now. The water is twice as salty as the Pacific Ocean. The only fish that can live there are tilapia, and even they struggle sometimes. There's just a line of dead fish, dead tilapia, and then... Oh my God, there's flies everywhere. The ground beneath the southern end of the sea is volcanic and boiling water bubbles to the surface in muddy pools. It feels post-apocalyptic and prehistoric all at the same time. But it's also weirdly beautiful. And the sea isn't dead. The water is teeming with microbial life and the beaches are covered with sandpipers, egrets, and pelicans. This sea, this gurgling, sometimes stinky, accident of a sea, is actually in danger of drying up and disappearing. And you may be thinking, good riddance, it doesn't sound all that nice. And you wouldn't be alone. Over the years, it's been hard to get people to care about saving the Salton Sea. In part, because it doesn't seem natural enough. In general, we tend to think about places and objects as either natural or unnatural. Forest, natural. City, Unnatural, But that black and white distinction is sometimes grayer than it seems. Today, peregrine falcons are nesting on skyscrapers. Coral reefs are growing on oil derricks. And some seemingly wild ecosystems are carefully managed by humans. The truth is, a lot of places on Earth are the messy result of a combination of natural and unnatural events. Nowhere is messier than the Salton Sea. And it raises the question, Should we protect an ecosystem that's not purely natural? The Salton Sink has not always been full of water, but it hasn't always been empty either. Over centuries, the meandering Colorado River would periodically flow into the sink and fill it with water. And then over time, the water would dry up. This cycle repeated itself every four or five hundred years or so. But when white settlers showed up in the desert in the late 1800s, there was no sea there at all. Just a parched basin, a trough, 270 feet below sea level at its deepest, and filled with natural salt deposits, which companies harvested to sell in cities like San Francisco. But frontier developers soon realized that if you brought in water, you could grow crops 12 months a year under the desert sun. So they set about rebranding this place as an agricultural paradise, and they started by getting rid of the name Salton Sink. Well, that's not a very appealing name if you're trying to sell lots. So they thought of Imperial Valley. It sounded great. That's Pat Laughlin. She's a local historian who's lived in the area for the last 60 years. They established a a water company which would bring water by canal from the Colorado River. They said, if you start a farm here, we'll bring you the water. This water came into Imperial Valley and watered the acreage. And these real estate developers sold a lot of lots in Europe to people who wanted to come to America and get a new start. And they had a wonderful agricultural industry going down there. For a few years, anyway. 
1905, the water company cut a new canal, and before they had time to reinforce it. They had a very late flood upriver in the Colorado, and the water just came through and washed out that cut and flooded the valley. Water broke through the wall of the canal and poured into the Salton Sink, destroying farms and homes. It was a disaster. And it just kept pouring in. The federal government could not be bothered to help, so the task of stopping the flow of water fell mostly to the Southern Pacific Railway, which had lost train tracks in the flood and would lose more if they did nothing. It was an amazing task. They built railroad tracks out to the break in the dike, and then they just took flat car loads of cement and old cars or any junk that they could throw in because there was just no solid bottom there to the river. It was all sandy. They did this for an entire year until they finally managed to fill in the breach and get the river back into its channel. But by that point, the water had filled up the Salton Sink, creating a massive lake in the middle of the desert. The Salton Sea. And most people assumed it would just dry up like a puddle on a hot day. Which is what it usually did whenever the Colorado flowed into the Salton Sink. But the sea had a new water source this time, agriculture. As irrigation flowed off the fields in the Imperial Valley, it ran downhill into the sink and sustained the Salton Sea. And for much of the 20th century, the runoff coming into the sea was about the same as the amount of water being lost to evaporation, creating a strange balance that made the sea appear stable. And back then, the sea was pretty different than it is now. It looked like a peaceful oasis in an otherwise hostile desert, like somewhere you might want to go on vacation. In the 1950s, a new round of developers saw a chance to turn the sea into a playground for Los Angeles weekenders. They called it the California Riviera. Here is truly a miracle in the desert, a whole new outlet for the crowded millions in big cities, a Palm Springs with water. Here is where you can find the good life in the sun. Today, the Salton Riviera An oil tycoon named Penn Phillips built a planned community on the west side of the lake called Salton City. He put in a yacht club over there and laid out lots and sold lots and brought busloads of people down to uh, see the sea and purchase lots. That's Pat Laughlin again. She used to take her family to the Salton Sea on weekends. It was really a wonderful place to go for recreation when I first came in 1950. And I have memories of many hamburger fries on the beach and swimming. But the water was great, and uh, there was water skiing, and they had a lot of boat races across the sea and back. And then there were the fish. The California Department of Fish and Game decided to stock the sea with fish in order to encourage more tourism. Scientists at UCLA worked to design an ecosystem that could handle year-round sport fishing. And they had to establish a whole food chain to get the larger game fish to survive. But they started with the little brine shrimp, and they brought them up from the Gulf of uh, Baja, California, and they brought in the brine fish, and then whatever the eight brine fish came, and then the next thing up the chain. The water was salty, but not too salty. And so they tried a mix of freshwater and saltwater species. And a lot of this work was done by biologists, But some of it was just renegade fishermen. They tried um, all kinds of fish. They tried harbor seals, and they survived, I guess, for a while. But after a while, they didn't see any of them anymore. 
That's Steve Horvitz, a retired ranger with the California State Parks. Spent about 10 years down at the Salton Sea living in the desert. Steve says that a few fish like tilapia, sargo, and corvina thrived. And by the 1960s, the Salton Sea was one of the most popular fishing destinations in the country. The marinas were full of boaters. The marinas were full of life, and the bars were full, and it was packed. They were... A run of cars, you know, coming from the L.A. area down to the Salton Sea every weekend. Stars like the Beach Boys and Frank Sinatra tooled around the lake in motorboats. And they gave concerts and programs on the shore of the Salton Sea. The West Coast has the sunshine and the girls all get so tan. What's the place to go? There was a time when more people went to the Salton Sea than went to Yosemite. But the good life in the sun didn't last all that long. In the 70s and 80s, floods knocked out a lot of the infrastructure along the shoreline. And most of the owners of the marinas and the yacht clubs decided not to rebuild. You know, by then people began thinking that, you know, maybe there were more issues than than they were aware with the Salton Sea. And they were right. One of the biggest issues was salinity. The water entering the Salton Sea picks up salts from the soil. And those salts have nowhere to go. Salton Sea is a closed body of water. The only way water leaves is it evaporates. And as water evaporates, the material, the solids, stay. And so the salt concentration continues to increase and increase and increase. Every year, the sea gets saltier and saltier, which is a natural process for lakes with no outlet. But tourists didn't like super salty water, smelly fish die-offs, and massive algae blooms. By the 1990s, most of the marinas and hotels had closed their doors. And a lot of people had left town. A rugged contingent stuck it out in small seaside towns, but the dream of the California Riviera was over. And then in the mid-90s, the sea began to dry up. Remember, pretty much the only water going into the sea was from agricultural runoff. But over the years, farms had become more efficient with water. They installed drip irrigation systems that reduced the runoff draining into the sea. Then in 2003, as part of a complicated water deal, the water district in Imperial Valley sold off the rights to a lot of their water, mostly to San Diego. Some farmers in the area had to stop watering their fields, which meant less water draining into the Salton Sea. Steve Horvitz and many other local people fought hard against the water transfer, which they say was done without a proper environmental review. They lobbied politicians in Sacramento and Washington, demanding a plan for saving the Salton Sea. But few lawmakers wanted to prioritize a fading tourist destination. In the 90s, celebrity congressman Sonny Bono had been a champion for the sea, but he died in a ski accident in 1998. Steve Horvitz says that he even had trouble getting help from environmental groups. Some environmentalists that I knew they would discount the salt and say, yeah, it's just a wasted body of water. It's just a man-made lake. And so why are you so worried about it? And I was amazed by that. You know, many people talk to us about why we restored the salt and sea. It was an accident. That's Bruce Wilcox. I'm the assistant secretary for natural resources agency in charge of salt and sea policy. And Bruce takes issue with people who call it an accidental sea. This latest version of the salt and sea was an accident, but there's lots of geologic history that shows that the Imperial Valley was flooded periodically by the Colorado River. Either way, wildlife doesn't really care whether or not the lake is an accident. 
Just look at all the birds. Ducks, geese, stilts, and dowsers, heron, brown pelican, and white pelicans, a large population of white pelicans. There are about 425 different species that have been cataloged or identified at the Salton Sea. Aside from the Texas Gulf, the Salton Sea has more bird species than any other place in the U.S. Many of those birds migrate up and down North America, and the birds would stop at marshes in Southern California to refuel. But those marshes aren't there anymore. Most of the wetlands in Southern California, or actually probably in all of California, uh, have disappeared because of development of one kind or another. The Salton Sea is one of the last stops they have. So if we lose that link, if it dries up, I'm afraid we'll crash a lot of bird populations. And there's another reason not to let the sea evaporate. Probably the most compelling reason is human health. As the sea recedes, it exposes dry lake bed called playa. And it's made up of tiny dust particles that can get into your lungs and cause respiratory diseases like asthma. To make matters worse, heavy metals and other toxins from all that agricultural runoff have settled at the bottom of the lake. So there's a tremendous health risk. And not just for people living near the sea. Toxic dust could get blown as far away as Phoenix, Arizona. The Pacific Institute, a water think tank in Oakland, wrote a report in 2014 saying that the cost of doing nothing at the Salton Sea could be as high as $70 billion over the next 30 years. As part of that 2003 water transfer, California agreed to send some water to the Salton Sea for a few years to keep the salinity in check while they figure out a solution to the dust and the birds. That water will stop flowing after 2017. But there is a little glimmer of hope. This year, California approved $80 million for a new Salton Sea Task Force, which Bruce Wilcox heads up. And they're using the funds to start designing ways to keep the dust down and the birds coming back, all using a lot less water. The plan is basically to build artificial wetlands with water cycling between ponds of varying salinity levels, each designed to support different bird species. And there will be walkways and boat launches so people can enjoy the resource too. But there's no blueprint for this kind of ecosystem architecture. In planning, an ecosystem runs counter to a pretty basic ecological principle that nature knows best. For a lot of environments, the best approach is to keep humans as far away as possible. But it's too late for that at the Salton Sea. Humans have transformed this landscape, really the entire Colorado River Basin, in such profound ways. We dammed up the river and irrigated the desert. We have dried up all the wetlands. We have made all these modifications, for better or worse. And now we're in a position where we have to step in and manage. That's Bruce Wilcox again, the Assistant Secretary for Salt and Sea Policy. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say I was a little nervous about that because uh, we don't know anywhere near as much as we think we know. It's just a little bit arrogant to think we screwed it all up and then suddenly we decide we can fix it. I mean, there's a danger in that. But we're in a position where we don't have a choice. Building hundreds of acres of artificial wetlands is going to require a lot of money much more than the $80 million they just got. And that means California is going to have to start valuing a landscape that's the furthest thing from pristine. It's easy to contrast the Salton Sea with California's second largest body of water, Lake Tahoe, the beautiful blue mountain lake that Northern California yuppies and hippies and yuppies who used to be hippies flock to every weekend. Tahoe's sexy. 
You know, there's no doubt. But the Salton Sea isn't. Former park ranger Steve Horvitz. The Salton Sea is an ugly guy living down there in a desert. A hot and sweaty guy that many times just repels people. And that Salton Sea is, will never be a Lake Tahoe. But it'll have its own beauty. Everywhere you go in California, there are bumper stickers that say, Keep Tahoe Blue. It's almost a badge of environmentalism out here. The Salton Sea might not be as beautiful or as natural as Lake Tahoe, but we need it all the same. But if the Salton Sea is going to get saved, it'll need to get appreciated first. We're going to need to see some of them bumper stickers. we just got to think of a slogan. And it probably can't be, Save the hot, sweaty guy in the desert. So, um, let's see. Uh... See you at the Salton Sea. Make the Salton Sea great again. Redesign the Riviera. The Salton Sea is for the birds. We came, we saw the Salton Sea. Maintain the mistake. Don't add salt in the wound. Keep God on your right shoulder and Salton on your left. Tilapia, I hardly know ya. That's the one. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Emmett Fitzgerald with Sharif Youssef, Katie Mingle, Kurt Colstead, Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. Some of the music in this episode was provided by our friends at OK Akumi from Hell Audio. OK Akumi have a new four-song EP that I just bought yesterday. It's on Bandcamp. It's called Sea Land Sky. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced on Radio Row in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 99% Invisible is supported by Slack, the best messaging app for teams. Slack brings all of your communication at work into one place, integrating with the tools and services that you use every day. Their mission is to make people's working lives simpler, more pleasant, more productive, and I'm going to add more fun. Instead of a hodgepodge of email, texts, and IMs, Slack brings all of your communication into specific channels that make sense and are easily searchable. You'll be amazed how essential Slack is once you get started. Slack is free to use for as long as you want, but they do have paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality. Anyone who visits slack.com slash 99 will get $100 in credits they can use whenever they decide to upgrade to any paid plan. Go to slack.com slash 99. 99% Invisible is supported in part by Casper, an online retailer of premium, obsessively engineered mattresses at a shockingly fair price. It arrives vacuum sealed in this big box and you cut it open and air rushes in and the kids in the house scream with delight. And when all the excitement is over, you'll have the best mattress of your life. They have a risk-free trial and return policy, so you can try sleeping on your Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. The mattresses are made in America, and pricing is just $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. 99% Invisible listeners can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash 99PI and using the promo code 99PI at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. And finally, this proud member of Radiotopia from PRX is supported by our coin-carrying donors, the Knight Foundation and MailChimp. This week on the 99PI MailChimp newsletter, you might think that a pole that holds up a highway sign only has one function, to hold up a sign. But many are also designed to break in just the right way in order to reduce vehicular damage and save lives. Designers are looking out for you, my friends. Get a link to that story and more when you subscribe to the newsletter at 99pi.org. But to send better email of your own, go to MailChimp.com. 
You can find this show and like the show on Facebook. Follow all the people who work on this show on Twitter and Instagram. But the best way to explore the 99% invisible activity that shapes the design of our world is to click around the hundreds and hundreds of stories on 99pi.org. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.